Amen. I've got a scripture I want to read to you tonight. Before, and as you're turning in your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 3. Amen. Last week, last week we, uh, we talked about one thing the devil knows. And what is that? One thing the devil knows. He knows his time is short. He's working overtime. Amen. Enemies working overtime. Don't give him an inch. Bible calls it a place. Don't give place to the enemy. You've got an enemy. He doesn't want you to be saved. He doesn't want you to be committed to God. He doesn't want you to love the Lord with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He's going to keep you from doing all of that. He's wrestling against you. Somebody say amen. So if I would title this tonight, I, I started to title it, When Your Kids Don't Want to Move Out. But then I thought you might be thinking that I'm thinking about my kids, but this doesn't have anything to do with my kids. It actually has to do with my message tonight. I thought that was a good title, but I didn't want to hurt Shayla's feelings at all because I told her I don't want you, you know, getting in a hurry. I don't want you to buy a house. She wants to buy a house. So don't buy a house you don't really want just because you don't want to live with your dad. So till you find a place, just... You know, you got a roof over your head. It's okay. So I didn't want to title it that because I didn't want her not to listen to the rest of this sermon. Then I got, you know, I started to title it, you know, something a little more theological, preparing for deliverance. But I guess tonight I settled on able to withstand. Able to withstand. I believe the bride is getting herself ready. I believe the Lord is coming soon. So it's Bible study night. We're going to give you a little more than the milk tonight. We're going to give you the meat. How many want the meat of the word? 2 Timothy 2 verse 3. Thou therefore my son. Now Paul's writing to Timothy the second time. And he considers him a very close and dear friend. A son in the gospel. My son be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that thou hast heard of me. Among many witnesses, the same commit thou to faithful men who shall be able to teach others also. You notice that Paul is beginning to be concerned about the furtherance of the gospel from generation to generation. He said, what you've heard of me, commit to faithful men that can pass it on. Okay, you understand that. Verse 3, thou... Commit the gospel of faithful men. But you endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warreth entangle himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him that hath chosen him to be a soldier. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, somebody chose me to be a soldier. And if a man also strive for masteries, if you're going to be good at shooting handguns, you're going to have to practice. If you're going to be able to do one-arm push-ups, you can't sit on the couch and watch Netflix and eat donuts all day. If you're going to be a marathon runner and run the Boston Marathon 27 miles, give or take a few points, uh, you can't go to McDonald's every day and supersize it. Every man that strives for mastery, yet is he not crowned, except he strive within the rules, or lawfully. The husbandman that laboreth must 
be first partaker of the fruits. Consider what I say, said the Lord. Give the understanding. Consider what I say, and the Lord give the understanding in all things. Now let me read in a little different translation. Timothy, my dear son, be strong to the grace that God gives you in Christ Jesus. You have heard me teach things that have been confirmed by many reliable witnesses. Now teach these truths to other trustworthy people who will be able to pass them on to others. Endure suffering along with me. Endure suffering along with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Soldiers don't don't get tied up in the affairs of civilian life, for then they cannot please the officer who enlisted them. And athletes cannot win the prize unless they follow the rules, and hardworking farmers should be the first to enjoy the fruit of their labor. Amen. Think about what I'm saying. The Lord will help you understand all these things. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your blessings. God and your spirit that's here tonight. I thank you, Lord, for the worship of your people. I thank you, Lord, that we can lift you up in all times and in all situations. You're God and you never change. Our world changes, Lord, sometimes second by second. But, Lord, you never change. And we are constant, Lord, in in our faith toward you. We cannot put our faith in anything else. For you're the only thing constant in this world. We praise you, God. Have your way. Speak to us tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. You can be seated in the name of the Lord. I'm sure you heard the story of the last couple weeks or so about the couple that had the grown son who would not move out. Did you hear about that? It went to court. They had to actually take him to court. He was upset. They were upset. Uh, he was old enough to be on his own and... and uh, you know, we get comfortable sometimes with life as it is. We heard a great message Sunday about uh, Moab and about uh, being comfortable, and I appreciate what we heard What we heard from the Lord Sunday. Anybody else appreciate what we heard from the Lord Sunday? Amen. Uh, I heard about a man coming out, uh, out of church one day, and the pastor was standing at the back door as he always was, shake hands with the worshipers, and he shook the man's hand and he pulled him aside and said, now, now, sir, it's so good to have you, but you really need to join the army of the Lord. The man replied, oh, I'm already in the army of the Lord, pastor. So the pastor asked a little, inquired a little further and he said, well, then if you're in the army of the Lord, then why do I only see you at Christmas and at Easter? The man pulled the pastor close to him and whispered back. He said, I'm in the secret service. (laughs) Well, I'm not sure the Lord's called us into his secret service. I believe he wants us to live our faith boldly. Somebody say amen. And so tonight I want to focus for just a minute and stay with me as I give you a little background Uh, on what I call last words. Everybody say last words. These that we read tonight in 2 Timothy chapter 2 are the last words of the Apostle Paul. You can Google them. I started to bring some to the pulpit tonight, but you can have fun with the last words of famous people on your own. I don't want to take the time uh, for you to enjoy them during this sermon. But there are last words of people that give us insight to their values, their concerns, and what the focus of their dying life is on. And if I could record not just a saying, but a solid core of guidance for future generations, what would I say? 
What would you say if you were about to die and your children and grandchildren and the next generations were gathered around you? What would you say to them? What would be important? Uh, What would come out of your spirit in those moments? What would I say to a future generation? I would also think that might be a little pretentious for me to think that me, I who am getting older, I'm uh, just turned 55 and I'm a 20th century uh, man living in the 21st century. I, when, I, when I don't have a watch on, I don't think about looking at my phone for what time it is because in my head, phones still are on the wall and they have a cord and you talk in a specific place of the house. I don't, you know, I've been sitting in meetings and asked questions of the staff of the church and, and all of a sudden I see them grabbing their phone and in about 10 seconds they have an answer. This is an incredible generation we live in. They have all the answers, don't they? You know, we used to live in a world of mystery. We didn't know why certain things happened. We couldn't. We couldn't be driving down the road and Google what kind of wreck happened on the interstate that's backing all the traffic up. We just had to sit in the traffic and hope we figured it out. And then sometimes we got through the traffic jam and didn't know what happened. This generation has information at their fingertips in milliseconds. So what could I, a 20th century man who's living in a strange digital world what would I have to say to the next generation to guide them they're going to see days that I'll never see they're going to experience tests that I never experienced they're going to deal with technology that I never had to deal with if the Lord tarries can I get a witness so what do I have to say to them that's going to be relevant and going to be uh, in some ways guiding because they're going to be dealing with a much different world if my uh, daughters get married and I have grandkids that come along uh, they're, they're going to see days that I'm uh, somewhat anxious or fearful about what could I say to them when we start talking about artificial intelligence and what, uh, uh, what science is going to discover and hopefully good things not just destructive things amen so I'm not sure I can speak to that generation so there, it's somewhat pretentious for me to presume to look ahead and give words of wisdom to a future generation because I'm so limited in my understanding of what the next few years hold, much less the coming decades. But as we come to Paul's final letters in the New Testament and in the other late writings of the Word of God, we read some of the last words. And uh, Paul's last words to Timothy are this. He said to that gifted young man, he said, Timothy, be a good soldier. God has called you to be a soldier. Now the context is there's going to be some battles to fight. There's going to be some warring to do. That if you're going to make it, you're going to make it through much trouble. John looked into heaven and he saw a multitude that he didn't know who they were. And the Bible tells us that he had a question in his mind about who this group of white-robed worshipers, who they were. And uh, he asked, who are they? And the answer came back, these are they that have, washed, that have come through great tribulation 
and have washed their robes in the blood of the Lamb. I want to tell you, friend, if you make it to heaven, it's not going to be a cakewalk. It's not going to be a, a day at the, at the yard sales. It's going to be a struggle. It's going to be a test of your faith. Can I get an amen? Amen. And uh, if you've lived very long for the Lord or believe in very long and had, you've had tests in your faith, somebody say amen. amen. The first 30 years of the New Testament era that we read in 2 Timothy chapter 2, the first 30 years of the New Testament church has now passed. Jesus has entered into what we would call history. The church had grown and developed The power of the gospel had brought new life to millions of first century pagans. The church had met with opposition and attack. And uh, the church had come to understand itself as Jesus' body, as a family, as a holy temple. Men and women who were the driving force in those early days, such as Paul, Peter, Barnabas, John, Apollos, Priscilla, and others, they are now, at the time of our reading, 2 Timothy 2, They are now elderly men and women. There had been other changes. Christianity was no longer a novelty. The church is now knows what we would call second and third generation believers. Once there were Christians who had converted, they didn't know anything about it, and they came to Jesus, and they believed on Him and were saved. It was exciting. But now there were children and children's children. That that's all they knew was faith in Jesus Christ. And it wasn't long after this that the Roman government would take an official position against Christianity. And within the faith, the Bible tells us there are false teachers that are infiltrating and twisting the doctrine of the apostles. And so we find these problems in the early church. How that organization was to function without taking on the unhealthy characteristics of the world. We find the writings of the epistles dealing with that. And during the decades of the 60s, uh, even to the 90s, A.D. 60 to A.D. 90, Paul and the others that have grown old in the Lord are looking ahead and they see emerging problems. They knew they must commit ministry to younger men, faithful men, to carry on the work of God. And so they begin to speak to that generation about them stepping off the stage and young men rising up to lead this New Testament church. The book of Acts closes with the imprisonment of Paul in Rome. Most commentators feel that he arrived there in Acts chapter 28 about A.D. 59. And Paul was kept in that first imprisonment under a very lenient restraint. He actually rented a home, had welcomed visitors while he was a prisoner. During that time, he wrote the epistles of Colossians, Ephesians, Philippians, and Philemon. The apostle eventually gained an opportunity to be released, and he was. He won his release. Paul then very probably made what uh, they call his intended visit to what they believe was Spain. In fact, Clement of Rome, one of the early church fathers, reports that Paul went to the extreme limit of the West, which would have been considered Spain in that area before he suffered a martyr's death. We can gather that he also had time to visit at Ephesus in Macedonia in 1 Timothy 1, as well as Crete in Titus chapter 1, verse 5. But without all of that getting bogged down and all that, but when Paul wrote... 
2 Timothy that we read tonight, saying to Timothy, my son, be a soldier, endure hardness or difficulty. Now Paul is in prison for the second time, and this time he didn't have his own house, and he didn't have any visitors. 2 Timothy 1.16 says he's in chains. 2 Timothy 4.13 said he lacked enough clothing and he wanted more books. He also wrote in verse 6 of chapter 4 the prospect of how grim what was going on in his life. He said, I am already being poured out like a drink offering and the time of my departure is at hand. The apostle Paul knew he wasn't coming out of this prison incarceration. He said, I'm about to leave. What had happened? Well, Paul's release from his first imprisonment probably took place about 60 A.D. He journeyed to Spain, came back, they say, two to three years later. On his return, he visited churches, wrote letters to Timothy and Titus, and uh, then came a series of events, worldwide events, that would unleash an opposition to Christianity throughout the Roman Empire. Nero Caesar, Nero Claudius Caesar was emperor of Rome from 54 to 67 A.D. He was a vicious, unbalanced man. His first five years were marked by sound administration, but he was content to let two supporters, Seneca and Burrus, run the empire. But by 62 A.D., the young emperor grasped the full power of his position having put to death those who had held him back, including his own mother. And the situation deteriorated rapidly. And in July of 64 AD, a fire broke out in the slums and destroyed half of the city of Rome. And the rumor circulated that Nero had put his capital to torch, tried to burn part of it down because of his grandiose building schemes he had planned. The increasingly unpopular emperor looked for a scapegoat on which he could turn the wrath of the Roman citizens. And he found one. They're called Christians. Already they were hated by the Roman mobs. They were chosen as the scapegoat. And in the next few years, the early church endured such tremendous persecution, such as history is not known to this very day. The next five years were extremely difficult and persecution intensified. Paul was rearrested, turned into a maximum security prison in Rome, and within a few months after writing the verses I read, his second letter to Timothy, he was executed. Deserted and alone during his last days, this aged apostle's final thoughts were for a harassed church, a persecuted church, Young men who didn't know how to respond. Him being incarcerated, not being able to counsel these young leaders. He now has the burden of where the church would go. And Paul writes to Timothy in a time of great persecution. He says, Timothy, endure suffering like a good soldier. You need to glorify the one who enlisted you. So be a good soldier. I've come to this pulpit tonight to encourage somebody, fight the good fight of faith. It won't be long until we receive our crown of righteousness. Amen. I'm not giving up. I'm not going to sit down and take it easy. I'm going to live a life of faith and belief in my Lord and my Savior. So let's talk about Timothy for just a moment. As Paul is writing to this young man, our impressions of Timothy come from the book of Acts. 
and from the letters he received from Paul. And from those, we glean that Timothy was a young man with a good reputation, probably a resident of Lystra, according to Acts chapter 16. We know from the scripture his father was a Greek, his mother was a devout Jew, who with his grandmother Lois, Paul says, instructed Timothy in the Old Testament scriptures. Timothy was probably a teenager when he first met Paul and joined Paul. And 15 years later, Paul wrote, Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young in 1 Timothy 4. So Timothy was a young leader in the church, in the early church. It's uncertain how heavily Timothy was involved in missionary work during those early years. But certainly Paul knew Timothy when he was very young. And Paul now commits to Timothy to a young man in his own ministry. And he gives him some last words of advice. Certainly Paul is aware not only of the difficulties facing the church, but of Timothy's own weakness. In fact, a number of historians say that Timothy was a very shy man. Uh, uh, sincere, but uncomfortable with opposition, and, uh, and seemingly a very backward or shy man. Just, and, and that gives me hope, because it says just ordinary people like you and me were men and women that graced the pages of the book of Acts in the early church. They weren't superheroes, they were just men and women like you and me. Battling problems, having difficulties, burying loved ones, doing what they could do to be faithful for the Lord. And yet the church of Jesus Christ endured and worked from generation to generation. I want to tell somebody tonight, it's not too difficult to live for Jesus. It's not too difficult to believe. Now is the best day for you to be a soldier for Jesus Christ. Oh, come on, clap your hands unto the Lord tonight. I hurry. How important then Paul's last words to Timothy would be if he's a shy young leader of the early church. They comfort us that ordinary people can be used of God. Young, listen, young, ordinary, red-blooded, same problems as everybody else can be used of God to see influence in the church of the living God. I would to God there be some old saints of God that would rise up and say nothing's going to steal my faith. Nothing's going to rob me. I'm not going to quit running the race. I'm too close to the end. Amen. Paul speaks to Timothy and I read it. He used military terms. He said endure hardness as a soldier. Everybody say soldier. When you think about a soldier, there are things that come to your mind. I mean, I see the barracks. I see the beds made. I see the, I see the order of the place. I see young men out early in the morning running, doing their physical training and, and uh, marching and, and learning cadence and, and uh, staying in line and getting the right step. I see them going through drills and learning hand-to-hand combat. And you don't just lay on the bed and read Time magazine and become a soldier. Uh, you have to train to be a soldier. You got, you got to, there's weight training. There's, there's, uh, you know, there's the, there's the obstacle course. And, and I know you get sore and I know your, your boots hurt your feet, but, but you're going to be in a battle and you can't lay on the bed and read a magazine and endure the battle you're going to fight. You got to do push 
push-ups every morning. I'm preaching to somebody now. The old Bible can't lay on your bedstand and then when it's time for a crisis in your life, you decide you're going to run the obstacle course. No, every day you got to be praying. Every day you got to be believing. Every day you got to ensure that you're trusting God. Come on. If you're going to be a good soldier, you can't take a day off. You may get a weekend relaxation every once in a while, but you've got to keep on fighting the good fight of faith. Oh, come on, clap your hands under the Lord tonight. I got some military men out here. Amen. They ask you to do things you don't understand. Yeah. And Paul uses military terms. He used them elsewhere. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 3. Look at what he says. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. I don't know if you've noticed it or not, but we're in a war. I don't know if you've noticed it or not, but yeah, there's, there's folks in here packing tonight. And hopefully there's more in here packing stuff you can't see. I'm not talking about concealed carry. Paul said we're not warring in the flesh. Our weapons are not carnal. In other words, they're not guns. Our weapons are not uh, pistols and and, and AR-15s. Our weapons are not physical, but they are mighty through God. That's right. I'm preaching to the youngest, to the oldest. You've got weapons at your disposal, and we're warring. We're in a fight. You know what they tell you if you're going to get in a skirmish or, you know, you know they go, my dad was a rifleman uh, in, uh, in the Marines. He went to Vietnam, served four years in Vietnam, was a dunner, a dunner, a dunner on a dun-dun. He was a gunner on a Huey helicopter, a door gunner, and, and uh, it's just a miracle he even came back in, in one piece. But uh, God was gracious to him, and you know you don't you don't just go throw you know Brennan on a fifty caliber gun in the side door of a Huey helicopter. Uh, you know, of course, he might have fun for a while, but he won't hit anything. Uh, you know, in in battle, there the 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 heart rate rises, the anxiety rises, and and you you can't see certain things, and you don't hear certain things, and and the pressure of the battle. Uh, this is why you go to the firing range, and you it it becomes habit because you, you sight in, you pull the you you let a breath out, you pull the trigger, you try to remain calm, you 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 control your breathing, and all the I'm not going to go into all that, but you can't wait till the skirmish is hot to figure out how to operate your machinery it's too late are you hearing what I'm saying I'm not talking about going out and going to war against the government I'm talking about spiritual battles you, you got to fight every day you got to pray every day you got to get in that word every day because there's going to come a day when the skirmish comes and you got to be able to operate in that environment oh come on let's praise the Lord right now Lord help us to be a good soldier well, what does this have to do with your kids not moving out? Well, just stay with me. You say, man, that's a long trip. Ephesians 6.10 says, finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, be strong. Be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. Make no mistake about it. The devil's going to try to knock you out of the fight. 
For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand. So now you see my title. You may be able to withstand. Come on, saints of God. I'm praying that you're able to withstand because the evil day is coming. The testing day is coming. The furnace is coming. you got to be able to stand. And if you're going to stand in that hot day, you better have been standing in the cool day. 2 Timothy 2 and 4, No man warreth entangle himself with the affairs of this life that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. The operative word in 2 Timothy 2 and 4 is entangleth. Everybody say entangleth. That's the KJV for entangle. A soldier does not become entangled in the things that would be a hindrance to his dedication to follow the command of of his commander. Paul's statement suggests either that Timothy had been reluctant to face hardship or that he had not maintained courage in the face of some challenge. The Greek text literally says to Timothy to suffer together with someone. And if you take a number of translations, they would translate that verse, 2 Timothy 2 and 4, to say this, Timothy, join the ranks of those who bear suffering. In other words, Timothy... Get ready to suffer with the rest of us. I got good news for you. Men's days are few and full of trouble. You better have more to live for than this world if there's going to be any lasting joy in your life. Because it can all be gone in a heartbeat. Join the ranks of those who are suffering. Yes, weeping may endure for a night. Yes, my body's groaning for redemption. Yes, the whole world is groaning to be redeemed. But I'm believing God that that Jesus is coming back very soon. And I believe that he's returning for his people. I want to hear him say, well done. Somebody say amen. So Paul says to Timothy, Timothy, and we heard a lot about it in the last couple of weeks. I'm not why. I'm not sure why, but the Holy Ghost is telling me to encourage somebody to just keep on believing, keep on trusting God. You're not trusting in vain. We found out last week that Satan knows one thing for sure. He knows his time is short. He is so because the battle of our salvation has already been lost. Jesus has already won the victory for our salvation. The blood has already been shed and offered in that temple that's in heaven. And that blood was enough. Amen. The battle for my soul has already been lost. And because of that, we found out that Satan will attack our body. He'll attack our mind. And you find an example of that in the book of Job. How Satan was allowed to attack one of God's children. Are you hearing what I'm saying? The battle for my heart, my soul is over. But the enemy will take every advantage that he can take. I want to tell you something else tonight. I'm not going to re-preach what I preached last week. But I want to say this. I believe Satan knows something else. Not just that his time is short. He knows also that he has a limited time to affect God's people. 
Yes, he does. Now, you, you, I know that you just think, well, his time's running out. So, yeah, logically, his time's running out with us, too. But I want to show you something. Revelation chapter 9, verse 1. And the fifth angel sounded. This is very important. Everybody say the fifth. So that means we're counting. There's been four before this, right? If this is the fifth, there's been four before this. And we know that he sounded. He's not just yelling. We know that this is the fifth trumpet. Everybody say the fifth trumpet. Everybody say the fifth trumpet. Now, we're not going to get into the book of Revelation. It's an exciting thing to get into, but we don't nearly have the time tonight. But I will say this. I know that Paul tells us what's happening at that last trump. About okay? Paul said at the last trump, the dead in Christ shall rise first. And we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds. And so we, we shall ever be with the Lord. Everybody say the last trump. That's the seventh. This is two trumps before the seventh. This is before the catching away of the body of Christ. In Revelation chapter 9 verse 1, the fifth angel sounded. I saw a star fall from heaven unto the earth, and to him was given the key of the bottomless pit. And he opened the bottomless pit, and there arose smoke out of the pit as the smoke of a great furnace. And the sun and the air were darkened by reason of the smoke of the pit. Now look at this. Verse 3, and there came out of that smoke locusts upon the earth, And unto them was given power. Everybody say power. As the scorpions of the earth have power. Now that power was directed. Verse 4. And it was commanded them that they should not hurt the grass of the earth. Nor any green thing. What locusts usually hurt. They're not commanded to touch any of that. You're not to touch any green thing or any tree. Your only object is men. Everybody say men. Now we know that's mankind. That's not just in the sexual orientation of men only. That's mankind. So they're not to touch any tree or any green thing, but only men and certain people. Those that have not the seal of God in their foreheads. I don't know about you, but you better thank God you've got the Holy Ghost in your life. I don't know about the rest of you, but I came on this Wednesday night to get filled up again with the power of the Holy Ghost. You know why? Because Paul said we are sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. The seal is not a tattoo. It's not a piece of wax. It's the Holy Spirit in your life. That's the seal. The seal is the Holy Ghost. You need the Holy Ghost. You need to keep the Holy Ghost. And you better keep stirring up the Holy Ghost. Because there's coming a moment as we get ready for that last trump that the Bible tells us that the Lord is going to say, uh-uh, no more. You're not messing with my people anymore. No. Are you hearing what I'm telling you? The devil not only knows he's got a short time, but he knows there's coming a moment before the rapture that the Lord's going to say, you can't mess with my people. Oh, now. Oh, now. Come on, folks. The journey's almost over. The battle is almost over. Keep on fighting. Keep on believing. Keep on going to church. Keep on reading that Bible. Keep on praying. Oh, somebody praise the Lord right now. Come on. I know. I know. 
You say, well, I just want to know when the Lord's coming. Well, if that's all you're worried about, you're missing the point. You remind me of me and my sister. Mom got home at a certain time every day. We had chores to do every day. And you know what? We got home from school about 2.15 every afternoon. Guess what happened between 2.15 and about 4.45? Nothing. We were like some of you pew sitters. Uh, I'm bored with church. But buddy, 15 minutes before mom came down the driveway, woo, we got to get going. Oh man, I need to pray. I need to worship. Oh, pastor, let's go to church. Let's have revival. Lord's coming. See, this is why we always want to know, when's the Lord coming? Because we're going to sleep till five minutes before he comes. It's human nature. We're going to cram for it. I got good news for you. The Lord's going to appear. And you know who he's going to appear to? He tells you. He tells you who's going to see him. Shall the Lord appear a second time to what? To those that look for him. Keep looking, folks. Keep your head up. Keep believing because the Lord's coming back. And those that look for him are going to see him. Don't get distracted. Somebody say amen. Yeah, we had, I had to take the garbage out. I want to tell you something. Sometimes I'd leave a trail because I was running because mom was already coming down the driveway. Don't live for God like that. I'm not sure when that fifth angel sounds when the Bible says that those demonic powers are now given power over mankind and they will torture mankind and they will cause mankind, it goes on to say they'll want to die and they won't be able to die, death will run from them listen, it's going to be troublesome times and in those days the Bible tells us, the Lord said you can't touch those that have the seal of God, I want to stay full of the Holy Ghost Come on, folks, the church is going to be leaving here soon, and we've got to be sure we're full. Be a good soldier. The battle's almost over. Kind of reminds me of the children of Israel in Egypt, doesn't it, you? Maybe not. Well, maybe I can make the connection for you. There comes a point when God says, no, hands off on my people. You can't mess with mine anymore. Listen, and if the devil knows that, if he knows his time is short, he knows that there's going to be enough time to mess with the drug addict. He's going to have extra time with those that don't worry about God at all. So his attention is on you tonight. Because even though he has a short time, he's got a shorter time with you. Because he knows there's coming a day that he will not be able to lay a finger on those that are sealed. Oh, man. So what's he doing right now? Well, our head's spinning sometimes because we don't know why what is happening is happening. Like Brother Kyle said Sunday, sometimes we're in the furnace and we don't know why. I want to tell you, be faithful unto the end. Reminds me of the children of Israel in Egypt longing for deliverance, wanting to be free 400 plus years of bondage. It's one thing when, God, when the God of this world increases your affliction load. But what about when the affliction seems to come from God? 
It's one thing when Pharaoh says, yeah, you've been making bricks. Now you've got to make twice as many and we're not going to provide the straw for you. The world will afflict you. You're a foreigner and a stranger here. Don't expect things to work out on a carnal level. The God of this world wants to make your job a lot harder. Is anybody hearing me now? But what about, you've been praying, God, I can't put up with this anymore, God. I'm getting so tired of this. And all of a sudden, a deliverer shows up and says, God's heard your prayer. So we're leaving. And you get all, well, yeah, we're leaving. Preachers preaching, man, we're leaving. Woo! Am I okay? It's obvious I'm not. We get tired and we've been afflicted by the God of this world and trouble and trials and situations come our way and then, and then all of a sudden the preacher gets up and starts saying, hey folks, we're getting ready to leave here. Oh, but before we do, I got a little rendezvous with the God of this world. And Moses goes down to Pharaoh's house and he says, let my people go. God's seen their affliction. He's tired of it. They've been praying and crying. They've been upset. He wants to take them out of here. And the Bible tells us that Pharaoh said, no, can't let you go. And what happened? Moses went down to the river. And the Lord said, put your rod on that water in that river. And the Bible says the river turned to blood. And for seven days, every creek, every stream, every lake, every pond. The Bible even says they would dig for water. And when they hit it, it would be blood also. Have you ever considered... That that wasn't just Egyptians that were thirsty? Come on. That's right. I got biblical proof that the first three plagues happened to everybody. And we're talking about deliverance and, well, surely the Lord's coming back. The devil's after me. Well, when God shows up to take you out, it might get worse for a little while. And you think, well, God's not answering my prayer. My Lord, I started praying and it got worse. Hey, keep on holding on. Because <laughs> God's about to bring those people out of Egypt and the Bible tells us that the water turned to blood and the place stunk for seven days. The water was blood. How, how thirsty can you get in seven days? That's pretty thirsty. I'm about that thirsty right now. And then when, when the water cleared up, you know what happened next? Frogs. Everybody say frogs. And it tells you where they were. They were in the streets. They were in their houses. They were in their ovens. They were in their bread pans. They were in their beds. They were everywhere. Wait a minute. We prayed for the deliverance and now we got water turning to blood. And now we got frogs in the the bread pan. Yeah, guess what? It's going to get worse. The frogs died and the Bible says they were shoveling them up and there was a great stench that filled the whole land of Egypt. And the Bible tells us the next thing that happened, Pharaoh said, I'm not letting you people go. And the Lord told Moses, reach down and get some of that dust and throw it up in the air. Moses reached down, threw it up in the air and the Bible says all of a sudden a plague of lice. Lice went everywhere, lice. Now, I don't know if your kids have ever had lice, but just talking about it, my head's crawling right now. I think I got 50,000 of them right now in my head. You ever been a kid come home with school with a note 
we've had a lice epidemic and all of a sudden you start scratching. Dear God in heaven, I think they're all over me. Just think about lice everywhere. Lice on the animals, lice in your kids, lice in your house. Well, we thought God was going to deliver us. He even sent us a deliver. And the water's turned to blood and there's been piles of frogs everywhere. And there's lice everywhere. My Lord. But notice after the lice in the book of Exodus chapter 8. After the lice, God says, all right, now I'm going to sever. That's the term he uses. I'm going to sever between the Egyptians and my people. There comes a day when God says, all right, affliction is over. It's time to get my people ready to leave here. And after that, there were flies, disease, livestock, boils, and hail, and locusts, and darkness upon the face of Egypt. But the Bible says in the house of every child of God, there wasn't a fly. They didn't have one sick cow or one sick horse. Their kids didn't have any boils And when the hail came down It didn't kill any of their livestock And when there was darkness in the land The Bible says in every house Of of Israel There was a light in their dwelling I want to tell you tonight It pays to serve the Lord Oh I'm getting excited Well I'm already excited about it I've come to tell you It pays to serve Jesus Come on, just hold on. I know there are a few frogs in the bread pan. I know there's a few lice causing you, but it's just about over. Come on. There came a point in affliction when it was a blessing to be a child of God. There came a point in that affliction when it was a blessing to have the blood on your life. I know right now sometimes you say, well, you know what? Sometimes people that don't serve God have it better than those that do. Well, I want to tell you, there's going to come a point when having the blood on your life is going to be the greatest joy. I know it doesn't seem like it right now. Everybody's having their way and doing their thing. You're burdened down with trouble and cares. But there's going to come a point where a child of God, it's going to be a blessing to be one of His children. Yeah. Why all this affliction, why all this going on affecting God's people? The Bible tells us the reason for those plagues. You remember when Pharaoh said to Moses, Who is the Lord that I should obey him? And the Israelites got bloody water for seven days, frogs in their house by the piles. And lice in all their kids and their wife and their husband's hair. Because God was trying to show Pharaoh who he was. I hope you're translating that. I hope you're taking that out of the theological KJV. And putting it right in your kisser is what I'm hoping you're doing. In other words, you want this world to know who God is? The Pharaohs of this world are saying, who is God that we should obey him? And then you wonder why you've got a few piles of frogs in your life. Maybe your affliction is God's way of trying to show this world. Yeah, I'm going to endure hardness as a soldier. Because God revealing himself to Pharaoh included the effect it had on his own people. They were under the same plagues as the Egyptians. 
because God was trying to wake Pharaoh up. Judgment begins where? Right here. Turn to your neighbor and tell him judgment begins right here. Yeah. So the agnostic or the atheist who doesn't even believe that he is begins to battle with cancer and begins to say, see, I knew there wasn't a God because he's letting me experience this. If there was a God like you said there was, I wouldn't be dealing with this right now. And they wheel that old saint of God who's just been diagnosed with cancer. They wheel him in the same room. You now got a room partner. And the old atheist is over there saying, see, I knew there wasn't a God. And they wheel that old saint of God in there beside him. And you say, hey, my name's Fred. And that guy says, well, hey, my name's uh, Timmy. And, and uh, well, what are you in here for? Well, I got cancer. Well, I got cancer too. And that old boy says, I can't believe that there people even believe there's a God if they let this happen. And all of a sudden that dear old saint begins to talk about how they love the Lord and how God's been good and how the Lord is precious in their life. Oh yeah, two testimonies. They both have frogs in their life, but somebody's blessed and somebody's confused. I don't know about you, but I'd rather have the Lord and deal with a couple of piles of frogs than be without the Lord and lose Him in my life. Come on, clap your hands under the Lord. I, I hurry. I hurry. Yeah. Not only was God trying to show Pharaoh who he was, but the Bible tells us he wanted to show the Israelites how powerful he was. I want to see the miraculous. I said, I want to see miracles. How many want to see a miracle? Just believe the Lord's powerful to do anything. Listen, listen. Oh, I want to see them too. But you know what? I don't want to personally need a miracle. I start telling God, Lord, I wish you'd do miracles like you used to do. Well, you know what? If we need a miracle, and then all of a sudden we got a prayer that didn't get answered. We got something that happens and we say, well, well wait a minute. Have we been praying for a miracle? You know, you got to get sick to get healed. For God to show you his power, that usually happens when you're at your weakest moment. Yeah. Sunday, Brother Kyle read a verse. It's Isaiah 48, verse 10. It's got my attention because in that verse it says, I have chosen you in the furnace of affliction. Seems to me that that's where God chooses us. He sees how we act in the furnace. I mean, I got scripture that backs that up with three Hebrew boys being thrown in there and God saying, well, I choose them in the furnace. How I act in the furnace really dictates how I'm chosen of God. So I want to read one closing scripture. Psalm 66, verse 8. Oh, bless our Lord, ye people, and make the voice of his praise to be heard. I like church like that. I like a church where you can hear people praising God. Oh, bless our God, ye people, and make the voice of his praise to be heard, which holdeth our soul in life and suffereth, listen, suffereth not our feet to be moved. For thou, O God, hast proven us. Thou hast tried us 
as silver is tried. Thou hast brought us into the net. Thou laidst affliction upon our loins. Thou hast caused men to ride over our heads. We went through the fire and through the water, but thou broughtest us out into a wealthy place. We went through the fire and through the water, but you brought us out into a blessed place. Note they went through the fire and the water. The children of Israel could not be delivered by themselves. And neither could Moses deliver them. Listen now. This is where I get to that part. What do you do with kids that don't ever move out? The children of Israel could not deliver themselves. Neither could Moses deliver them. And you say, well, wait a minute. That's kind of confusing. Listen, suppose Moses had said, hey, I've been down here long enough. I'm a messenger sent from God. And God told me to lead this people out. Come on, folks. It's time for you to follow me. Just follow me. They would not have gone. They'd been 400 years making bricks. They would have turned back if they had even started. You see, God alone could take them through the fire and the water and make them willing to leave the land they declared they were sick of. You know what I'm convinced? We all say we're sick of this world, but we're not quite ready to leave yet. Oh yeah. The Lord knew I got to make these people sick of the place they say they're sick of. I got to get them to a place where they realize, man, I got to move. I got to get out of here. They say they want out, but they're not ready to really move. They were crying out to God. And they realized God was the only one that could help them. God had seen their affliction. And to the natural man, it looked as if every war, everything was warring against it. But God heard their cry. But they could not make bricks without straw. And they had to gather straw and make the same quantity of bricks as before. Let me ask you a question. Did God know that? Oh, yes, he knew that. He knew that their work was now harder. Surely this is not God doing this. It's hard enough when they supply the straw for us. But now this can't be God. God is holy and God is just and this is just not fair. But God put them through the fire and through the water. God put them through the test so that they would be willing to slay a lamb and put it on their doorpost and say kids tonight we're leaving here we're not staying here any longer so now you may understand why maybe the test in your life the the flies, the frogs the blood turned to water they had to be they had to be encouraged to leave a land they had gotten comfortable with I don't know about you, but when we sing some of those old songs like, this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. I talk about how difficult it is sometimes down here, but you know what? I think the Lord needs to work on us to make us even more miserable of this place. I'm longing for a better place. 
I said, I'm longing for a better place. Come on, lift your hands right now and pray, Lord, help me right now. Lord, there are things that happen. Lord, there are difficulties in my life. Lord, I hear the words of Paul saying, endure hardness. Come on. It may not get easier. It may get tougher. Come on, soldier. It's time to march on. Come on, soldier. It's time to fight. Come on, soldier. Yes. Yeah, there's affliction. Yes, there's turmoil. Yes, there's plagues. But I, I'm trying to get you ready to leave here. You're not quite ready. You're not, you're not in disdain yet for this world. Oh, come on, Lord, take this whole world, but give me Jesus. Come on, that's what the old timers used to sing. Lord, take this whole world, but give me Jesus. I won't turn back. Oh, come on, let's stand all over this building. I believe the Lord's here right now. He wants to encourage us in this room. Lord, I want to fight the good fight of faith. I want to renew my spirit. Come on. I want to be on fire for you tonight, Lord. I want to believe you with all my heart. I don't want to get enamored with this world, Lord. Come on, those children of Israel had to learn that God was mighty to save. They had to know that they couldn't make it without Him. That's what God was preparing them for. He had to take them through the fire and through the water to bring them to a wealthy place. And just maybe God is preparing his people again uh, to leave a strange land. Maybe he's preparing his people again to leave a land of sojourning. And just maybe there's a greater than Moses here tonight that's about to deliver his children from this world. And maybe we're not as ready to leave as we think we are. And maybe some of those tests and afflictions and trials and frogs and lice, those irritants in my life are allowed to come just to get me looking for a better place. Lift up your heads, your redemption draws near. Lord, help us tonight. Come on, let's lift our hands one more time. I feel His presence. There are saints of God in here that need encouragement.